Um, there we are. Thank you. That helps. Thank you. So I pray that you would be glorified today, that you would speak in and through me. Would you take the things that you laid on my heart and, and ultimately just Holy Spirit guide this time so that you would be glorified. Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I was going to ask, we were, we were going to ask the question, what is, who got the best gift uh, for Christmas? But we all know that the Joneses did. They brought their, their baby daughter, Erica, home right on Christmas Eve. No, what? what? Anela. So Anela Jones was born on the 23rd. They brought her home on the 25th. So Mike is here so he can get some sleep. Um, and then he will be, I know, I know, I know. All right. So, um, who here, just out of curiosity, raise your hand tall. If you had a new year's resolution that you made this time last year, raise them high. Anybody make a new year's resolution last year? Wow. We are like not in the practice. Okay. So those of you, those like two of you that did who actually kept it the whole year. Uh-huh. Okay. See, see, last year I made a resolution that I figured I could keep. My resolution was I am not going to make a resolution that I cannot keep this year. <laughs> and it's the first one I kept, except I guess the fact that I made a resolution, which broke my actual resolution of the resolution. So I, whatever, you know. Here's the problem with resolutions. They cut against the grain of our flesh, don't they? I mean, our head says, this is what I want to do. I want to be better. I want to do this better. I want to stop doing this or whatever. And then our flesh goes, yeah, great. No. And, and to me, resolutions feel a lot like uh, band-aids. Something that you stick on at first because through sheer grit and determination, it says, I am going to do this or I'm going to stop doing that. And for a while it sticks. Maybe it's for a week. Maybe it's for a month. It's, it'll be fun going to the YMCA in January because the place becomes a zoo. Places filled with people and then around February 15th, maybe March, empty. And it's my place again, right? Because everybody has this external, I'm going to do it, but like a Band-Aid, it sticks for a little bit and then it starts losing its tackiness and the edge starts kind of coming up and you, and you try to like paste it back on. And eventually it just falls off one day and you don't even notice it. That's what happens when we try to externally change ourselves from the outside in. I will be better and hoping that it'll percolate through our heart. And the reality is it just doesn't work. I've, I've tried a number of times. I imagine a lot of you have as well. And you've kind of realized this doesn't work. But the reality is that does not mean that we don't want to change. I'll be the first to say I want to change. I'm not the man I want to be. I want to be a better husband to my wife. I want to be a better father to my sons. I want to be a better pastor to this church family. I want to be a better lover of Jesus Christ. And, and, and I want to be a better representative of him. And I know that I'm not there. And I can imagine that a lot of us probably feel pretty similar about a lot of things like that. So just because resolutions don't work doesn't mean that we don't say, God, I want to change. I, I want to be other than I am right now. But how then can we experience true transformation? Well, if we, if we want to follow in Jesus' steps, he'd probably be a pretty good person to ask for advice in that. And so if you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 15, because we're going to begin there this morning. Because Jesus specifically spoke about life transformation. He spoke about what it would take for us to be transformed so that our lives would naturally produce fruit, fruit of the Spirit like love, 
joy, peace, patience. I need a lot of that. Kindness, goodness, gentleness. My whole family, other than Kathy, needs a lot of that because they got my DNA. Self-control. Jesus used the analogy of a, a grapevine. And I know that a lot of us are not, you know, have never actually even seen perhaps a grapevine. We just go buy them off of the little bunch, you know, at the store. So, Mark, can you throw it? There we go. Here is a picture of, of several grapevines, but I'll just kind of point out. You see this big stick here in the front. That is the actual grapevine. And then what comes off of that, all of the place where the the leaves are, those are branches. And it's the branches that produce the leaves and the branches that produce the fruit. But the only way that they're able to produce the fruit is by being connected to the vine. So this is what Jesus said in John chapter 15. We're going to begin in uh, the second half of verse 3. I'm sorry, in verse 4. He said, no branch can produce fruit by itself. It must remain or abide or stay connected to the vine because the vine is what goes deep into... It's the roots of the plant that go deep into the soil. It is the vine that produces the life-giving sap that actually enables the branch to produce foliage and fruit. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain or abide or stay intimately connected to me. I, Jesus is saying, am the vine and you are branches. If you remain in me and if I remain in you, you will bear fruit. It's not a matter of if. If you abide in me, then you're going to bear fruit. But apart from me, you can accomplish what? Nothing. Apart from me, you may try. You might say, I'm going to be a better person this year. 2016, it all changes. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to be kind to my spouse. I'm going to be a wonderful son or daughter that listens to my parents. I'm going to get A's or whatever it might be, right? Whatever it is that you might want to see transfer me. I want to be a better representative of Jesus. If you try to do that by your own strength, then I guarantee you that 2016 will, be, will begin with you failing at the very thing that you hope to see the greatest transformation in. But if we remain in him and he in us, if we draw near to him and allow him to be our true north that says, orient your life around me and follow me and I will do in you what you cannot do for yourself, then we may actually see transformation. In fact, it's not a matter of may, then we will see transformation. Of course, this begs the question then, well, how? Because I'll be the first to say, we wouldn't be here on a Sunday morning two days after Christmas if we weren't hungry to grow. We wouldn't show up week after week if we weren't hurt, uh, hungry for intimacy with Jesus Christ. We're here for a reason. And yet many of us, I would probably, I could be the first to say, I'm not as close to Jesus Christ as I would like to be right now. There are so many things in my life that are distractions. So many ways that I get pulled in different directions. So many other counterfeit gods that clamor for my worship and attention. So how can we as a people begin to draw near to him and allow him to abide in us? Again, if we want to follow him, probably the best place to start looking is here in scripture. 
Because Scripture is a, is a story not about individuals. It is a story ultimately about God. He's the main central character. It's His story. And it is about his interaction with his people from the very beginning when he created mankind in his image to be his representatives all the way through thousands of years of interaction with his people. And time and again, God's people who were called by his name came to a point where they just went, I'm hungry for a, a greater intimacy. Or maybe they, they kind of slammed into a wall. And they realized, how did we find ourselves here? God, we need your wisdom. We need your discernment. We need to, you to show us how to proceed from here. Maybe it was somebody that, that encountered something that they just went, okay, I realize I don't have the power, the strength to overcome this on my own. I need your help. God, help me. Or they just had something that they're going, I, God, I want your will to be done in this. In any and every one of these situations, when people came to the point where they go, I need God to intercede into this. I hunger for a greater connection with him. One of the ways that they approached him, one of the ways they began to intentionally strip away the, the stuff that got in the way so that they could intentionally abide with him was through this one-two punch of prayer and fasting. And let me just give you a couple of examples. You don't have to turn to all of these. The first one is, is when the people of Israel were led out of captivity in Egypt and God led them through the wilderness to the base of Mount Sinai. And when they, when they came to the foot of Mount Sinai, Moses, the representative of God's people, God said, come up the mountain and meet with me. And when he did that, for 40 days and 40 nights, Moses chose to fast as he interacted with God face to face. As they covenanted, it was almost like a marriage ceremony between God and his people of Israel, Moses being the representative of them. And this was one of multiple times that Moses chose to, over the course of his leadership, pray and fast for an extended period of time. Because Moses recognized that his effectiveness, his ability to lead God's people was only as great as his intimacy with God. Because he ultimately wasn't the leader. God was. He was simply his representative. In the same way that Lee and I would say, we are not the leaders of Lighthouse Church. God is. My prayer is that he would continue to guide us. So it's our responsibility. I am only as effective as a leader as I am connected with Christ, which is why this is such an important thing for even me to focus on. If you're in your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Ezra chapter 8. It's right after First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. Then you get to Ezra. If you hit Psalms, you've gone too far and you need to go left. We're going to look at three individuals really quickly here in the Old Testament. They're, the books that bear their names follow one after another. Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. All three of these individuals were, were Jews who found themselves kind of scattered to the wind. At one point in Israel's history, the people had stopped worshiping God. They were worshiping other things. The kings who were supposed to be the leaders of Israel had dropped the ball. They'd started worshiping other gods. They basically said, I don't, what do we need Yahweh for at all? And so as God had promised, if you forget me in the, in the promised land, then I will allow you to lose the land. And so in a lot of ways, he, the dandelion that was Israel, he just went and scattered them to the breeze. And many of them found their way to Persia, which was the most powerful nation in the world at that time. 
One of these guys was a guy named Ezra. He was a priest, or, or would have been, had there been the temple, had he been there. And Ezra felt God laying upon his heart, I need to bring myself and some other priests of Israel back to Jerusalem, to the temple, because at this point there are no priests there to represent God and and to be intermediaries between the people and God. We need to be there to kind of help reestablish Jerusalem as the epicenter for the worship of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Ezra scraped together the courage to ask the king of Persia, would it be okay for me to get some people who are also priests and, and gather up our families and all of our possessions and head back to Jerusalem. And, and God caused that king, even though he wasn't a God-fearing king, to say, okay, that's fine, you can go. And Ezra gathered up a small contingent of priests, their families, their possessions, and they were about to set out on the road back to Jerusalem, but they realized, wait a minute, here we are, a bunch of priests, we don't know how to fight. Right? We don't know how to protect ourselves. We have all of this stuff, not only our own possessions, but all of the, the golden things that we've collected to be used in the temple. We are sitting ducks. And as we walk along these roads, there are bandits, and they are going to. It is not a matter of if, but when they attack us. And, you know, it would have been very easy for them to say, well, let's just ask the king to give us a contingent of horses and, and soldiers and stuff to guard us. And then Ezra said, you know what? We are saying that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a powerful God. How sad would it be if we had to go to the king and say, we don't trust our own God to protect us. We need you to protect us. So listen to how Ezra responded. This is in Ezra chapter 8. We're going to begin in verse 21. There, by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children along with all of our possessions. Because I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king, well, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against those who forsake him. And so, rather than going to the king and asking for protection, we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. Ezra found himself in a position going, I fear what may be ahead, and I want, I, I'm going to ask God to go with us and go ahead of us and go behind us and protect us along the way. And that's what he did. And he used fasting and prayer as a way of coming close and connecting with God and going, God, this is my need. Go ahead and turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah was a contemporary of Ezra. But unlike being a priest, Nehemiah happened to be a cupbearer to the king of Persia. And a cupbearer had a very specific role. He was the one who brought the cup of wine to the king and then took the first sip. If it was poisonous, he died rather than the king. He was expendable. But it was a very important role. And we read in, the, in Ezra chapter 1 that at some point, some of the, Ezra's brother Hanani came back along with some other guys from Jerusalem and they told Ezra what the, the circumstances were. In verse 3, he said, They said to me that those who survived in exile are back and in the province, but they're in great trouble 
and disgrace because the walls of Jerusalem are broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. In other words, all of Jerusalem, the capital city, where the worship of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob took place is completely in ruins. And anybody who lives there is completely in danger of, all, of the wild animals because they can walk anywhere that they want. If an enemy were to, were to attack, there's no way for the people of Israel to protect and defend themselves. When Nehemiah heard this, he sat down and wept. And then he says, For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. His response to hearing this this thing about the, the walls of Jerusalem being broken down, his response was, I need to spend some time praying and fasting and seeking God and asking him for wisdom on how I should proceed. And ultimately what it, it turned out is, is Nehemiah felt God saying, I want you to go to the king and I want you to ask him for permission not only to take people, but to get some resources to go back and build the walls of Jerusalem. And it took a lot of courage for him to do so. But through prayer and fasting, God gave him very specific direction for what his role in all of this was. And his role was to lead the people back to rebuild the walls. Go to Esther. We're going to go to Esther chapter 4. Esther, another Jew, was, um, she, she was a Jew, but she was beautiful, and the king ultimately took her as one of his wives, the king of Persia. So she is one of many queens of Persia. And she catches wind of, of a non-Jewish man who is in the king's court who looks at the Jews as a danger, as a spot or a blemish, on all of the Persian territories, and he basically concocts an idea to wipe out the Jews. This is very similar to the mindset that Adolf Hitler had when he was trying to purge Germany and and that region. There was a holocaust that was planned for the people of Israel in the nation of Persia, and Esther catches wind of it, and she realizes, maybe I am in this position of authority, being the queen, a queen. Maybe God has placed me here specifically so that I can intercede for my people. However, nobody was allowed to enter into the king's throne room, even a queen, unless they were invited to come in. And so Esther realized, I need to go talk to the king, but if I just barge in there, I'm breaking the law, and I'm basically putting my head on the chopping block. I'm putting myself in grave, grave danger. So what did she do? We read in verse 16, she, she says to her uncle Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, this area that we live in. Go gather all of the Jews together and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my attendants will also fast as you do. And when this is done, then I'm going to go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, then I perish. But I cannot turn a blind eye to this. But in preparation for that, in seeking God's will and seeking God's direction and seeking God's protection, I'm going to take some time to fast and pray and really deep down anchor myself into the vine. And that's what she did. And God used that little girl to radically save his people in Persia and completely turns the the person that was trying to destroy them is ultimately the one who gets caught in his own trap. 
Because Esther was courageous enough to say, God, here I am, use me how you will. Fasting was also, there was one time a year for the Jews throughout the Old Testament where fasting was mandated for every single man, woman, and child in Israel. And that was the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur, the day in which the high priest would go into the the temple, into the Holy of Holies, and say, God, your people are a sinful people, and we want to simply confess our sins before you. And every single Israelite was commanded by God to fast on that day. So fasting was a regular part of the Jewish worship. We might say, well, all of those examples are Old Testament examples. So maybe this is an Old Testament thing. And there's some truth to the fact that we are not commanded. There's not a specific command that we must fast in the New Testament. However, fasting is all throughout the New Testament. It was modeled by Jesus. In fact, Jesus, when he was baptized in the Jordan River, as soon as he came up and out of it, God says, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus and rests on him in the form of a dove. And then the Spirit leads him out. The very first thing that happens is that the Spirit of God leads him out into the wilderness where for 40 days and 40 nights Jesus fasted. And yes, the enemy uses that time to come and attack Jesus and to kind of question what God had said. If you really are the son of God, then do these things and prove it. But what I want you to recognize is that even Jesus, at the very beginning of his ministry, before he had healed a single person, before he had fed a multitude, before he had preached his first sermon or even chosen his first disciple, Jesus went and connected with God and spent time fasting and praying because he recognized that he desperately needed to be connected to the vine. Yeah, I totally skipped that part, but that's really helpful. (laughs) So let me read that. For those of us who hunger to live fruitful lives, Jesus invites us to take a posture of dependence as opposed to self-reliance. That's the big deal here. Because when we look at, just to kind of explain what that's all about, when we look at doing a a New Year's resolution, that's an external patch. I'm going to fix myself. That's a self-reliant kind of attitude. I fix myself as opposed to fasting and, and, and praying and, and abiding, which says, God, I can't do it myself. I need to be dependent upon you. Even Jesus recognized that. He, who was God in human flesh, had emptied himself of his godhood. He was dependent upon the Holy Spirit filling him up and on connecting to God. And he said, I don't do anything on my own. I only do what I see the Father doing. Even Jesus modeled for us the posture that we need to take if we ever hope not only to be sanctified or set apart or transformed, but if we hope to be his ambassadors. We can't do it by our own strength. We're not strong enough because we have flesh that battles against our our desire, battles against our spirit. So Jesus fasted and prayed. In fact, he also taught on it. Go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. In that Sermon on the Mount, perhaps the most famous message ever preached, Jesus specifically addressed this, this idea of fasting. It was one of many topics that he touched on. 
the book of Matthew, chapter 6. I'm going to begin in verse 16. Totally. Jesus said, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites or those mask wearers do. For they disfigure their faces and they show everybody that they're fasting. Oh, I'm so tired and I didn't comb my hair today so that you know that I'm fasting. Because those individuals, when they're, when they're putting on airs and, oh, this is so hard for me to be, to love God so much that I'm giving up so much. They're doing it for attention. And Jesus says, guess what? They've already got their reward in full. If they want attention, congratulations, you got it. You happy? Why are you fasting? Jesus says, don't fast for other people to know about. Instead, wash your face, comb your hair, put on clean clothes and go about as you normally would because it's not about what other people think about you. We don't fast in order to post it on Facebook to say, I have fasted now for 13 and a half minutes. It's about as long as I can handle sometimes. We don't do that for other people's attention. But that's not, so that was the point Jesus was driving at. But I want you to notice some of the terminology he uses here. Look at the first three words of this section beginning in verse 16. Not if you fast. What does he say? When you fast. Jesus assumes that his followers, the ones that are wanting to model their lives after him, are fasting. Because it is a regular rhythm and part of a life that says, I am hungry to stay connected to the vine. I by myself cannot do it. And this is one way to strip away the things that get in the way and just say, God, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. Every moment of my life. There were some Jews. Go ahead and turn to to chapter 9. Because there were some uh, followers of John the Baptist who had been trained by John and who had built fasting into a regular part of their lives. And they came to Jesus and they went, well, wait a minute, Jesus. You know, we fast and the Pharisees, they all fast regularly. But your disciples, they don't fast. What's up with that? And Jesus said in verse 15, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn when he's with them? If the point of fasting is to connect intimately and abide, then when you're actually with me, you don't need fasting. We're there. We're, we're spending time celebrating together and, and, and doing life and breaking bread. However, Jesus went on. The time is coming when the bridegroom will be taken from and, and then they will fast. And it wasn't long before Jesus was crucified, taken from them. Yes, he sent his Holy Spirit to live in them and to live in us. But the point was, when you're not face to face with Jesus... There are times when we don't recognize his presence in and with us. There are times where although the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to us, it's almost as if we're just not dialed in on the radio frequency. So he's broadcasting and we're not listening. All we're getting is static. It's all the noise of our life, I think. I'm finding that there's tons of noise for me. My cell phone, television, Books, I know that we were talking earlier, like, what would you fast from? I'm like, I need to fast from books. And Claire's like, seriously? Books? Yeah. Because that is one of those major areas of noise for me. I love to read. 
And fasting is a way to say, I'm going to to kind of strip those things that cause white noise in my life away so that I can turn the dial of my heart and tune in to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to me and saying, God, what do you want to say? And then actually have some space to listen. Now, I'll tell you, we, we hear Scripture from beginning to end is replete with examples of people who fasted and had built that into a natural part of their life. And for many, many centuries after Jesus came and was resurrected from the dead, fasting was a regular part of the church's response to him. It was a regular rhythm, a regular discipline or practice that they had built into their worship. Fasting and prayer, fasting and prayer tended to go together. But over the last couple of centuries, particularly here in the West, where consumerism is such a value. Fasting, we've almost kind of tried to unhitch prayer and fasting from one another, and we embrace prayer. Pray at meals, pray before bed, pray if something like catastrophic is happening. But fasting, man, we just, that flies in the face of everything that our society tells us because we're bombarded day after day with commercials that say that you deserve to have it your way, how you want it, when you want it. And so fasting, why would I give up food unless I want to lose weight? Why, why would I cut away all the wonderful television shows or, or the, the Internet, you know, social media? I need to stay connected with my audience so that, like Ken was saying, they won't think I died. So that I can stay, you know, up to date with what's going on and all of the new theories about what's going on with Star Wars and what they think, that, you know, whatever, you know. I need to I need to be able to go and do all of these things because this is how I order my life. And I would suggest that although fasting is almost anathema to our society, it just is so completely countercultural. We need it now more than ever. Because you know what? Our greatest issue as a country when it comes to food is not starvation. It's obesity. Our greatest issue is not that we don't have enough information. It's that we have too much information. Too many options. Too many things that we can pour ourselves into so that it's like we're inundated with this hose of sound and and we it's no wonder that we can't hear the holy spirit speaking to us and guiding us and so from time to time we as a people need to pause and intentionally say yes food is a good thing i need food to survive but i don't live on bread alone but on every word that proceeds from the father's mouth Yes, it's okay to go watch a movie, to watch television. It's okay to read a book or go to the gym or whatever it is that we do, our hobbies. Those are fine. However, from time to time, we need to intentionally submit those things and say, I'm going to put it aside so that I can simply listen. Because the reality is I want to change, but I can't change myself. Only God can do that. And the only way that's going to happen is if I remain connected to the vine. Because I'm a branch. And if I think that I can produce fruit by my own strength, <laughs> I'm deluded. And I'm going to fail. 
and I'm going to get discouraged and disappointed and disillusioned. I'm going to say this whole God thing, it doesn't work at all. Because I said yes to Jesus, I prayed a prayer, and he hasn't transformed my life. But you notice that Jesus never said, hey, pray this prayer. He said, follow me. Following Jesus is different from simply saying, have him take my life. Jesus, take the wheel. And then actually kind of retaining control of the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. Then let go. So this morning, the invitation I want to bring to you guys is something that kind of flies in the face of, of this season. This season of great excess. I know that all of our houses are full of really nice baked goods and fudges and, and pound cakes or whatever those happen to be. And then it, we also have all of these new toys and things that just are demanding our attention. And that's probably a reason why there's lots of people who aren't here this morning is because I mentioned last week that we were going to talk about fasting. They're like, I'm sleeping in. But I simply want to invite you into an opportunity. I want to invite you to join myself and many others here in the church in taking the next three days. And we're not going to begin right now. We're going to begin this evening at 7 p.m. And we're going to run from 7 p.m. tonight till 7 p.m. Wednesday night. Simply saying, for the next three days, can we set aside some space to build fasting into our rhythm and use that time to pray and connect and to abide deeply in the vine. Now, what does that look like? How do we fast? There is no one-size-fits-all mode of fasting. There were some like Moses who fasted for 40 days. I'm not about to ask anybody to do that. There were people who fasted for a single meal. People who fasted from certain foods. Daniel said, hey, don't give me the choice meat, the wine and all, and all the sweets. Just give me the vegetables. That's what I want. There were people who fasted for a day or a couple of days, as in the example of Esther. Hey, for the next three days, let's just kind of cut out these things. And also, it's not just food always. When God was preparing to consecrate the, the people of Israel so that he could covenant with them on Sinai, he said, have the people stop having sexual relations for a time in order to prepare themselves to come before me. So fasting does not simply mean you're going to stop eating and drinking for three solid days. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm not even suggesting that food is necessarily the thing that you need to fast from. It may be that you need to say media, television, sports, uh, you know, social networking and social, social, you know, Facebook and, and Twitter and all those other kind of things. Or, you know, for some, and it's probably not for all, but for some it might be going to the gym. I know for some people that is actually an addiction. Or maybe it's shopping. I don't know what it is and I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to simply say, take a little bit of time today and prayerfully ask God, one, am I willing to take up this challenge and accept this invitation? And then two, God, if I am, then what are you asking me to fast from? We had this conversation with Ethan last night as we were preparing for this. I said, you know, this is something that you're old enough to do right now. And he starts going, okay, well, I'm going to stop watching TV and I'm going to stop playing on the, on the Kindle. Cool. 
and I'm going to stop doing outside games. I'm like, hold on, buddy. You know, it's okay to go outside and play. We're not going to stay inside the whole time here. He's, and I don't think that I'm go- at this point, Ethan being seven years old, is ready to, to even stop eating all day long. But he may give up a meal. And if so, then we would walk through that with him. And it's going to be fun to do it as a family. What I am going to be fasting from is going to be slightly different from what my wife is going to fast from. It's going to be slightly different from what Ethan is going to fast from. And it is between ourselves and God. Secondly, there will come a point, if you choose to accept this, where you and your, your, your flesh is going to go, wait a minute, good idea, but come on, seriously, what's the point of this? Every time I fasted, I hit this wall once or multiple times during that time. It's like my body goes, seriously? Hey, good job. Yeah, can we just go get something to eat? Just, just a little bit. Every time a hunger pain kind of kicks in, or every time you're, you know, for me, it's going, the phone is going to be a major one that I'm fasting from because it is an area of, of noise for me. Every time I'm tempted to reach in my hand in my pocket to pull my phone out and to check whatever, that for me will be a prompting to pray. And I want you to take that posture if you choose to join me in this. Every time you're tempted to go grab something to eat or to, to, to go towards whatever you're saying I'm going to be done with, use that as a reminder that I don't live on this alone. And then allow it to, to be a reminder. Just go, God, here I am. Bring Christ back to the center of your attention. Here I am. Is there anything you want to say to me right now? This is going to be integral. I, I believe this could be very transformational for many of us in setting the, tra- the trajectory for this next year and maybe years to come. Because rather than saying, hey, let's all just try to pick one area of our life and fix it, what I'm inviting you to is let's take the next three days and intentionally say, I need to draw nearer to my vine and say, God, here I am. Help me. Strip away anything. Search me and know me. Know if there's anything that's getting in the way of me being fully present with you. And then if you want to change my life, if you want to focus on something, then do it. But I need your help to do it. And if there's something you want me to do in this coming year, then so be it. Please give me the ears to hear, but also give me the courage to be obedient in that. Because the only way that we will see true, lasting transformation is if we are connected to our vine. And if we are, then 2016 can be a very fruitful year, but it will only happen when we are willing to say, here I am, help yourself to my life. One last thing. We have a couple of things that we put together in order to help do this because we're not just doing this as individuals. Yes, there's going to be a lot of time spent individually spending time with God and connecting, and it's going to be a wrestling match in some ways. You may choose to only fast for one day, or you may choose to do some sort of fasting over the course of three days. But there are a few things we put together. The first thing is this packet right here. At the top it says, reconnect, refocus, and return. The whole point of this is simply to give us some direction for this time. And there's also then... Um, there's on the second page, there's some ideas of what those kind of fasts can look like, different aspects of it. And then starting on page three, we have a daily devotional for each day of our fast to help guide and direct your prayer time. And there's also then on the back some additional resources. If you want to read more about fasting and in preparation, there's some different people and different organizations that have a lot of good material there.
So that's one thing that we've put together in order to help guide this time and, and help it to be a bit more fruitful than it otherwise would be. The second thing that we have is that we want to carve out some space to kind of bookend our time together. We want to take the first and the last hour of our three-day fast and do it together. And so beginning tonight at 7 p.m. over in the Faith Cafe, we're going to gather, those of you who are willing, we're going to gather together and we're going to spend some time praying and worshiping and preparing our hearts for this whole thing. And then again on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we're going to come together to pray, worship, and at that point intercede for our church, for our community, and for our country. And then we'll break our fast together with communion. So those are going to be the bookends, and those are going to be some corporate times of worship. And I invite you and your entire family to come. And if you can only come, because if you get childcare, then let me know, and I'll figure that out, although I haven't figured it out at this point. But there's the invitation. is for the next three days beginning tonight at 7 p.m., not beginning right now, because I want you to have some time to go, God, do I participate? And if so, in what way do I participate? Beginning tonight at 7 p.m., would you please join me and join many people in our church in kind of slowing down and dialing our hearts into the frequency of, of the Holy Spirit and saying, God, here I am. Have your way with me. All right? Now, just maybe one or two minutes. Are there any questions that any of you have before we kind of pray? And Sweet, I have answered all of them. That's awesome. Cool. The handouts are on the back table. Both of those back tables are there. Also, David, have we emailed them? Okay, if you, ha- if you are on our email listserv, they have already been emailed into your inbox, so you have them there. But many of you would probably like a hard copy, and they're on the back table as well. Good question. Thank you, Jeannie. All right, let me pray. And then we will go ahead and get our kids across the street. Father, I thank you so much um, that you are not the God of the deists who wound up the world and then stands back and watches it spin out of control. That you are a God that although you transcend time and space, you're intimately involved in our lives. And that you know even the numbers of hairs on our heads. And you care intimately, not only with what's going on for us here and now, but you have a plan for our life and a purpose. And although we have messed up and although we are imperfect representatives of you, you still allow us to be your representatives into our spheres of influence. And God, we desire to to be reflections of you. And the only way that happens is if we are drawing near to you and abiding with you. So would you draw near to us and would you search us and know us? Would you shine the light of your spirit into those shadow areas of our lives and begin to clean out the stuff that's getting in the way of us being fully and utterly submitted and sold out to you? And then, God, would you have your way with us, not only as individuals, but as a church? We are your bride. We have given our hearts to you. We've given our lives to you. And we say, have have your way with us. Help yourself to our lives so that your kingdom comes, so that your will is done, and that your name is made great, not only in the world, but in our community and in our homes. Jesus, in your name we pray these.